So which is crazier? The idea that Kim Kardashian could have edited a phone call to frame Taylor Swift? Or Alex Jones having an actual source that says the president walks around the White House late at night naked? It's that Kevin show! Somewhere in the city that defines holiday magic is a man who wants a little eggnog with his mistletoe. That guy would like to carol you. Featuring the musical stylings of Mal Tunney and the Dreaming Colored Singers. And tonight, updates on the war with KJ McFarland. Remembering Kissinger, Dr. Monica Crowley. Visits from the Shepherd and the Messengers, Catherine Warnock. Buck the Bedeviling Benefactor, Neil McDonough. And Ann Wilson in the Holiday Spotlight. Christmas time. Now live from Times Square, where tourists sometimes confuse the pizza rats in Santa hats with Santa's little elves. Here's Papa Elf himself. Here's that... Uh, thank you, Dave. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that I'm Papa Elf. I'm pretty sure I've never been voted Papa Elf. But you know who was voted for something? Taylor Swift, Person of the Year, Time Magazine. Peggy Noonan, of all people, in the Wall Street Journal advocating for that uh, very distinction uh, for her just a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I thought it could easily happen, and now it has, and there's lots of tea to spill. Anyway, here's the singers. Yeah, wow. Love those guys. Thank you, Mel Tunney. Thank you, Bonnie Keene. Thank you, Kirk. Uh, uh, everyone else uh, that's involved, appreciate everybody that uh, is contributing to the welfare of that Kevin show these days. Should I start with the good news? Yes, because you know how I am. Once I get started on the stuff, I'll get so emotional I won't come. You, okay, thumbs up. All right, I've been I've been given permission not to go with the top headline tonight, but rather the very good news that we have just found out, which is that in uh, February of this year, we asked you to join us on a journey to help liberate 192 human slaves, and you have. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It's just an incredible, overwhelming bursting of my heart to be able to tell you that tonight. CSI, our partner in this, Christian Solidarity International, uh, and you and us for, I don't know, the fourth or fifth year in a row, uh, hitting our goal, 192 human slaves have been liberated. And I got a little bit of news. We've just been given word that there are another 15 or 16 uh, slaves that have been identified that that need to be uh, freed and that we still can before the end of the year. And I'm wondering if 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 you didn't give or if you wanted to give again and you were thinking oh, I'm gonna this would be helpful. Eight 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 three four two ten ten triple eight three four two ten ten or go to bringherhome.org. But to get these final sixteen names that we've got to get them home for Christmas, which we have time to do. 
If you give your gift tonight, we can get those slaves back to South Sudan, back to their families, back to the ones that love them in time for Christmas so that they can celebrate it because these are Christian slaves that were forced to turn to Islam because of their slave masters, blah, blah, blah. You've heard me talk about it all year. We have time to do this, um, and the McCulloughs are going to take care of two of those. So would you step up and and help get the, the 14 remainders? Are there 14 of you that could do a one-time gift tonight, $250, change someone's life forever, liberate a slave, and give them the freedom that they're looking for? But thank you for getting us to our goal. Amazing, amazing again. You blow me away. You are the most generous radio audience, uh, television audience, combined audience, multimedia audience in existence, and I'm just so grateful uh, for it. Now, we've got a lot to uh, get to tonight. Let me give you a preview. Um, we've got news, and we've got entertainment, and we've got uh, holiday music. We've got, we've got it all. Uh, in the news tonight, uh, T.K. McFarland's going to join us. She was the former national security advisor to Donald Trump, Ronald Reagan. She served in multiple White Houses. She consulted with Gerald Ford. She consulted with Richard Nixon. She was in the White House when uh, Henry Kissinger helped solve, and, and by carrying out President Nixon's uh, orders, to, to, to solve the Yom Kippur War because America showed solidarity with Israel. Everybody else was scared. It ended the war. Uh, she was in the room when it happened. So she's with us tonight. She's going to give us some perspective on what's going on in, in Gaza right now, but also her thoughts on um, the passing of Mr. Kissinger. Speaking of the passing of former Secretary Kissinger, uh, Dr. Monica Crowley may be one of the foremost authorities on Nixon and Kissinger combined. She's written a lot of biographical stuff about the men. She's going to join us with some insight on that. Looking forward to seeing the lovely Dr. Monica Crowley joining us. Uh, which will be uh, great. Then in the second hour tonight, uh, we have got some real treats. First of all, in the holiday spotlight, Ann Wilson is back. Yes, we were going through the New Music Spotlight nominees for the Songs of the Year, which the poll is now out. If you're following That Kevin Show on Instagram, you get to help determine the uh, New Music Spotlight Song of the Year. So go to Instagram, follow That Kevin Show, and then uh, you can vote as the as the polls come out. But round one of, of the polling came out, and we've, we've got the, I don't know, the 40 or 50 songs down to, I think it's now 16. Round two will be coming up this next week as we work our way to the number one song from the New Music Spotlight for the year. But anyway, Ann Wilson had, I think it was four or five songs that were on the list for the year, which was by far the most of any single artist. And we were very uh, grateful to have her. Um, she's in the New Music Spotlight again tonight with new Christmas music. And I think it's going to be uh, lovely. So join us for that. Assignment Desk Weekend, the Holderness family's back. It, what if Bing Crosby narrated Christmas? What would that look like? That's the thought of the sketch tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, Assignment Desk Weekend, Hunter's got a new set of charges. You got all kinds of things going on. Uh, that's that's going to be uh, wild. And then uh, Catherine Warnock of The Chosen is going to be with us. She's going to break down uh, what, how the how the chosen has repackaged their Christmas stories, the shepherd and the messengers. They're coming into theaters. Uh, we'll talk with her about it, but it's going to be phenomenal. December twelfth is when it uh, goes into theaters. It's only there for five days, so you got to go see it uh, on the big screen. There's nothing like it. Uh, the the chosen Christmas special coming up uh, next week, and then who else? Oh, Neil McDonough, Buck Buck Compton from Band of Brothers, one of my favorite characters in all of serial television. 
he's he is the he is a very bedeviling character in his new movie called The Shift that I saw this last week. <sighs> Blows your mind. What a good movie it is. Um, and I'm, that's all I'm going to tell you. But uh, but uh, Neil McDonough is going to be with us later in the uh, night as well. So that's that. I, I'm looking forward to all of that. Now, the, the very interesting thing about this last week is that Taylor Swift was named Person of the Year. And some people are kind of befuddled by that because they're like, well, she's not a news personality. How can she be Person of the Year? But do you know that the, the concert venues that she went to on her concert tour improved the economy of each of those cities significantly? Like it changed the revenue models for some of the states for their year-long projections on earnings. That that's That's how much it impacted it. But then she... Blew out the theaters with her uh, movie version of the concert. She had five albums that charted at the same time on the Billboard Top 100. No artist has ever done that. Um, and everywhere she goes, she's just blowing people away. Well, she got named Person of the Year, sat down with Time Magazine. Boy, was her interview newsworthy. If I can just say, um, you never hear from her own lips like what the deal is. She spilled it all in the Time Magazine article. So that was kind of interesting this last week. Um, Tucker Carlson interviewed Alex Jones, and Alex Jones was spreading some conspiracy theory about having a source inside the White House that says that Joe Biden walks around naked all night, and they have to drug him up in the morning to wake him up, and they have to drug him down in the evening to get him to go to bed, and then he wanders the White House, evidently naked, uh, in, in the middle. Like, And my bride asked me, she goes, what, yeah, do we believe what Alex Jones said? I said, well, after Sandy Hook, I don't, I don't have much use for him at all. So she, then she asked me the question I couldn't answer, which was, well, why is Tucker Carlson interviewing? I said, I don't know. That's, that's a little trickier. And I've known Tucker a long time. He, I, I know he likes to talk to some of the more colorful people, um, sometimes just for the experience of doing it. But Alex Jones is crazy. Kind of nutty. So, uh, and after Sandy Hook, I just, I, nope, can't, can't really take his word for it anymore. Uh, anyway, uh, and then what was the other? Oh, yes, Hunter Biden. 17 additional charges, uh, only they're not state charges like they were in Delaware. They're actual felonies that he could get jail time for. And this coming into the election cycle, does, uh, does anyone else think that the Democrats are ready to pull a fast one on, on the naked man wandering around the White House? Because why would you release this now? Why would this come out now if there wasn't some big plan to, like, do a swaparoo? Uh, especially when you see Trump jump out to winning the first four states in a row and he's unchallenged. I think it's going to be interesting to see just how they get around that. But, I, yeah. So are they circling the wagons? Is the Hunter additional charges? Is this the is this the sign that Biden's going to be gone? Well, we'll see. Anyway, stay with us. It's that Kevin show. My next guest returns with uh, always great insights on the foreign policy and national security issues of the day. And she happens to be a pretty cool person. KT McFarland, welcome back. Thank you. 
if you say nice introductions like that about me, I'm coming on your show anytime you want. <laughs> well, you already do, and that's why I'm so grateful. You're the Martha Stewart of foreign of foreign policy. You oh. you make it look easier than all the boys, um, and you do it with more class and grace. So um, just just take that as uh, for what it's worth. Um, I'm so thrilled. I adore Martha Stewart. I know you. her personally. I adore everything she's done. So that's the greatest compliment you could have given me. Thank you, Kevin. I'm, I'm just, I'm hitting a thousand here at the beginning. I, there's nowhere for this interview to go except down. Um, but let's talk about some serious things. Um, Israel went back to fighting mm -hmm. uh, as they should to clear out the rest of uh, Hamas's uh, undergrowth. They're even down in southern Gaza where Hamas never thought they would get to, and they're now discussing strategies to really clean out the rest of these tunnels. What? How big is the job that they have left from your perspective, KT McFarland? Oh, they're only halfway done. You know, from here on in, it's going to be much more complicated because there are the tunnels. The thought is that some of the hostages are still left in the tunnels, probably deliberately left in the tunnels. Um, to protect the tunnel. You know, they're going to be the human shields for the tunnels. So Israel kind of has two options um, to destroy the tunnels. One, you could use seawater, which is what they're apparently setting up to do, flooding the tunnels. The other would be to use the bunker buster bombs, which the United States has given them. Um, the worry with that is that if they blow up a tunnel, since most of the tunnels are like a subway, they go underneath all the important civilian buildings throughout Gaza is that then those buildings would collapse into the tunnels, you know, like the World Trade Center collapse. And so that's that's kind of, a you know, they don't want to do that. They don't want to have a lot of civilian casualties if they can help it. But at the end of the day, they're going to have to go after Hamas probably door to door because Hamas has used the, it's used the pause, it's used the ceasefire to infiltrate now into families and into neighborhoods and using their own people as human shields. You know, it's hard to wrap your head around the idea that Hamas really wants civilian casualties, not just Israelis. They want their own people to die because then they can they can hold it up to the world and say, see, Israel killed our people. Because they know they can't defeat Israel militarily or economically, right. but they can defeat them in the court of public opinion. And that's what Hamas is going to do next. Israel's just got to root them out. I mean, once and for all, not only for the sake of Israel's security, but frankly, for the Palestinian people. Hamas has been you know, like a vampire seeing off the Palestinian Well, I want to hit the pause button there for a second, because we had Anthony Blinken, uh, Secretary of Defense Austin, and the Vice President uh, Kamala Harris all this last weekend um, saying the same thing, basically that um, Israel, if they wanted the goodwill of, of the world, needed to produce a plan by which they were going to protect civilians. And Katie, I know that my listeners have a little bit of an advantage because you come on the show. And so we're kind of like more informed, I think, than the average person. But Israel dropped leaflets before they bombed areas. They formed human tunnels to get Palestinians to safety when Hamas was shooting them as they were trying to leave. I don't know of armies that are that have a justification to protect their people that have taken such lengths to protect the innocence of the other side. Yeah, and let's compare that with what the, what Hamas and the Palestinians, what they're doing to their own people. You know, they brainwash their own people to the point where they now celebrate the murder and butcher of innocents, women, children, even sometimes their own women and children. And if you look back to World War II, the Nazis committed genocide against the Jewish people. They had concentration camps. They killed six million of them in the most brutal and horrible way. But the Nazis realized what they were doing was wrong, and they kept it secret 
from their own people and certainly secret from the world. They kept very good records because they were Germans, but they didn't let the world know what they were doing. Compare that to what Hamas is doing now, not only with Israelis, but with their own people. They're bragging about it. They're taking selfies next to butchered babies. You know, it's it's such a, it's very hard for a civilized human being to wrap their head around what Hamas is doing. But that is exactly what they're doing. They thrive on the death and destruction of their enemies, but also of their own people that they're robbing from, they're cheating. And as you point out, when the Israelis tried to get the Palestinian civilians out of the north of Gaza and into the south, it was Hamas that was gunning them in the back and preventing them from doing it. Again, Hamas wants its own people to die. And we should never lose sight of that. We should never say it was all Israel's fault. No, it's not. It's Hamas's fault. It is a very hard thing for me to accept that we have people with the title of congressmen, congresswomen, um, Jay Paul, Omar, um, AOC, uh, the rest, that go on television and equate the rapes and the destruction that Hamas carried out against innocent civilians in southern Israel. Um, and they, they say that there must be an equal outcry for the Palestinians that are being um, injured and maimed as a result of these um, these actions that Israel is taking. I, I, I still hold that all of the death, including the Palestinians in the Israeli offensive, are the fault of Hamas. How do we have people in elected office that don't understand that? I don't want to understand it. You know, they're, they've, they've been grow, they sort of spew this anti-Israel, anti-Semitic um, worldview, and they try to spew it to their own people. And the way they go, it's, what's, it's what Hamas does to the Palestinians. It's what all of the terrorist groups in the region do. It's what Iran does and says, you are poor and disadvantaged, not because of us, your leaders, it's because of somebody else. It's the big guy. It's Israel who's doing it to Israel is the oppressor. And the terrible thing about it is that it denies their own people the right to a good and decent life. So they're oppressors, not just of their, you know, of, of their neighbors, but they're oppressors and murderers of their own people. You know, you keep hearing these congressmen say, well, it's going to be Palestinians from the West Bank of the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. We're going to destroy Israel. We're going to kill all the Jews who were there. This is going to all be Palestinian territory, quote, like it used to be. No, it never was Palestinian territory. And Israel is not occupying Palestinian territories, either in Gaza or the West Bank. Israel is out of there. It's the Palestinians who want to kill all the Jews, destroy the state of Israel, and then I guess run a bigger Palestinian Hamas territory in an area which was once thriving. You know, the example I always look back to is in 2005 and six, when the Israelis left Gaza. They, they, Arash Sharon was prime minister. He took the Israelis who had been providing security, took them out of there, built a wall and said, okay, Gaza, it's yours. You guys have an election, you govern yourselves. But what the Israelis left behind were functioning greenhouses. So Gaza, had been a very productive area while the Israelis were there. They had greenhouses that supplied, you know, heirloom tomatoes to Europe, flowers to throughout the region. And, and that was a way that the Palestinians could have had a livelihood after Israel left. What do you think Hamas did? They blew them up. They did not want their own people to have a livelihood. They wanted their own people to be afraid of Hamas and to be dependent upon Hamas. So I, I have very few prospects of success if Hamas remains in any form, either 
after Israel leaves, when this war is over, but Hamas has to be obliterated, not just for Israel, but for the Palestinian people and for the peace and sanctity of the world. That's well said. I'm going to take a quick break. Be right back. She's Katie McFarland. Stay here. Christmas time. Here we go. Back in the show. We're back uh, from Times Square. Kevin McCullough, always glad to have you with us, even in these holiday festive uh, occasions that we're in. Even if we're talking about tough stuff, it is a good time to reflect and to uh, remember that hope came at this time of year, and we celebrate that each year. Katie McFarland, um, the president and the vice president this last week saying that the Palestinian Liberation Authority, the PLA, needs to be the governing group in Gaza and the West Bank. I, I'm just curious. That's just trading one devil you know for another one, isn't it? It's also pretty stupid. I mean, how many times have we gone into countries and ordered them around and said, this is the government you should have, whether it's in South Vietnam, whether it was in Iraq, whether it was in Afghanistan, and every single time we failed. We're not very good at this. So why we think that we're now going to dictate the terms of the post-Hamas governance of Gaza no, we shouldn't be doing it. We should be enabling the countries in the region to solve the problem in the region. It's not our problem. We can give aid as long as it's going to directly to the people and not to Hamas and other corrupt groups. But it needs to be solved in the region. We ought to learn the lesson we, we should have learned in Iraq and Afghanistan that when we go in, shove everybody around, say, we don't care about your history. We don't care about your norms. We don't care about your culture or religion. Here's a government we insist that you're going to have. We always get it wrong. Yeah. KT McFarland, uh, we lost Henry Kissinger last week, and he was more controversial, especially towards the end of his uh, public life. Uh, but speaking of Israel and the problems in the neighborhood, had it not been for Richard Nixon and uh, Mr. Kissinger, uh, Yom Kippur, the Yom Kippur War could have ended very differently. Um, what are some takeaways that, that you have of his life and, and his influence on uh, foreign policy? Well, I actually was in the White House Situation Room in that 1973 first Yom Kippur War when Kissinger was the National Security Advisor, Richard Nixon was the president. So I know firsthand what happened and saw how Kissinger was and Nixon were able to reconfigure the Middle East. So before the October War, the Soviet Union um, was the prime mover in the Middle East. It was a major outside power. The United States had always supported Israel, but it was the Soviet Union that had was at the beck and call or we had the other countries at the beck and call, which was um, which was Egypt and Syria and all these other countries were beholden to the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union gave them weapons and they could use the weapons to make war against Israel. Kissinger always felt that at some point in the Middle East, in the Arab world, there would be a leader that came up and said, you know, I think what we want to do is turn away from war and go to peace and have peace and prosperity for our people. And that that leader would recognize only the United States could get, deliver peace to them. The Soviets could get them weapons, but could never find a way to peace. And so Kissinger was able to sort of maneuver events during the October war so that both the Arabs 
and the Israelis felt that they had gained something, had lost something, and they were willing to do a compromise. And then Henry moved to the Middle East for a month, month and a half at a time, where he would do shuttle diplomacy. So in the morning, he might be in, in Israel talking to Golda Meir, and then he would take a plane, and then he would go to Cairo, and he would talk to Anwar Sadat, and then he would go to Lebanon and talk to the leaders there. Then he would go to the King of Jordan um, and, and Amman and, and, and slowly but surely inch them towards a ceasefire agreement, which laid the groundwork for peace. And we've had peace there in the Middle East, you know, for decades, generations, until Iran got empowered, mostly by the Democrats, to wreak havoc in the region. Um, so I, what I learned from Kissinger is you want to make sure everybody wins something in a negotiation, because otherwise it doesn't hold. But once it does, you should be willing to go forward with a very different approach than you would have just a few weeks before. Sounds like a striking contrast to the Secretary of State that we currently have. And uh, I know that that you can't really separate a Secretary of State from the administration that they're attached to and the policies that they put forward. Um, but it does seem that we've we've gone very lightweight uh, in uh, the negotiations that we're having currently, and that's bothersome. Just real briefly, you said something on Twitter about the Democrats having a civil war amongst themselves. Uh, you just made mention that it was Democratic policies that enabled a lot of the bad actors uh, to come to power. Uh, what, what, what's your make of where they are with this issue uh, right now? We've just got about 30 seconds. You know, the Democrats have traditionally been pro-Israel. They've been pro-working class. They've been pro-American minorities. And they're not that anymore. There's some that are, and those are the old guard Democrats. The new guard Democrats, the new base, is the anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, you know, frankly, so enraptured by environmental issues that they've lost track of making a good life for blacks and Hispanics. So it's like the political parties have flipped place. And the Democrats don't want to face their civil war. And that's why they're kind of propping Joe Biden up because he's the sort of last of the old guard that can bring them both in. Once Joe Biden is gone, these two sides of the Democratic Party are going to go at each other. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how that all settles as well. Katie McFarland, I hope you have a very uh, great holiday. If We don't get to talk to you again here on uh, television, but thank you for being with us. Honor and a pleasure. Kevin McCullough coming right back from Times Square. It's that Kevin show. Don't go away. Christmas time, And my next guest, I'm very happy to welcome back to That Kevin Show because she is one of the foremost people that I thought of when I heard the news just recently that Henry Kissinger had passed away. A man that by any measure impacted generation after generation after generation of presidential policy and really in some of the world's biggest uh, crises in terms of uh, ongoing conflicts and war not the least of which is the Yom Kippur War. But ladies and gentlemen, would you please put your hands together and re-welcome to that Kevin show, Dr. Monica Crowley. Hello, Monica. Good to see you. Hi, Kevin. Great to be back. Thank you for having me. The, the minute that I heard of Mr. Kissinger's death, I thought back to our previous conversation, just the last one that we had when you were with us, and you were talking about the days of working with 
uh, former President Nixon. And in the process of that, uh, being introduced to Mr. Kissinger and actually having kind of a, a footstool at history here, um, what have been your thoughts since his passing? Well, I wrote a column about uh, my personal thoughts and reflections on Henry Kissinger for the New York Post, which came out, uh, I guess, on Friday in the paper, and it's also online, and I'm posting it on my social media as well. And what I want everybody to know about Henry Kissinger is, yes, of course, he was brilliant. He was a brilliant strategic thinker. He was a top-line academic but he was also one of these rare uh, diplomats who could also have one foot in the academic world. So he knew how theory was, was uh, presented, but he also knew how to apply theory to the real world. Mm. Not a lot of people can do that, but Henry Kissinger could. What's fascinating, and the reason why I wanted to write that piece, and thank you for having me here tonight, um, Kevin, is that it, the Nixon-Kissinger partnership has often been misunderstood understood and mispresented or presented in a wrong way to the American people. There was so much establishment hatred of Richard Nixon that they embraced Henry Kissinger and would often credit Kissinger with the ideas and the vision of the actual policy that was Richard Nixon's. Mm. So while Kissinger was a brilliant strategic thinker, all of the policies that he was executing were Richard Nixon's. You know, Kissinger had a boss. It's sort of like now in the conversation that we're all having about Nikki Haley and, and Donald Trump and, oh, Nikki Haley is a great foreign policy mind. Well, the only reason she had any foreign policy experience is because she had a boss who put her at the UN to execute his policies. Right. And the same thing holds true with Nixon and Kissinger. Kissinger, again, executed brilliantly, but keep in mind they were all policies and based on the instruction of Richard Nixon. And, and kind of based on that partnership and what was forged there, he went on to advise every other president that sat in the White House after President Nixon. I, I believe that he had a relationship with each one, including Donald Trump. Um, I, I, I can't help but kind of A, B, a comparison of Tony Blinken's uh, press conference um, on, on Thursday of this last week and kind of the disaster that it was in terms of the confusion of the message to Hamas and to Israel and to the greater watching world and even to the United States and kind of compare that to the clear thinking you were just identifying that uh, Kissinger was known for. You, you said that he had both a, a grasp of the theoretical but also the practical. Has that been largely missing in State Department diplomacy ever since his his departure? You know, I opened my column in the New York Post uh, this week, Kevin, by talking about heavyweights. We used to have real heavyweights, intellectual and political heavyweights, running the government, running the culture, you know, leading us in a positive, constructive way. Not always, but the vast majority of the time. What we are really missing now are those kinds of people with the intellectual heft and moral clarity um, of like the Nixon-Kissinger team. Now, very controversial. I know a lot of their policies and Kissinger was very controversial. I get that. Every president, every secretary of state makes mistakes. But in this particular case of Joe Biden, you have a president, a commander in chief, who was supposed to be setting American foreign policy for the rest of his administration 
organization to execute. He is corrupt, demented, and, and a fool. So you have the person at the top who's a buffoon and compromised. And then everybody who follows down through his administration, who is supposed to be executing American foreign policy, guys like Tony Blinken, they're either compromised or and or incredibly weak. So there are no heavyweights as far as the eye can see with this administration. And the result is what you're seeing around the world. When the United States is weak and or perceived as weak, the good guys retreat, the bad guys advance, and the wheels come off the world. This yeah. is why you have a hot war in Eastern Europe, a hot war now in the Middle East, China on the rise and, and increasingly aggressive in the Pacific Rim. All of these things are a direct result of the fact that we do not have any heavyweights in government right now. Well, in order to have that, you have to have that person at the top have their word mean something. And I think that one of the things that I learned from reading your piece about Nixon and Kissinger together was that um, when 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 Nixon would set forth the policy, there was zero daylight between he and, and what was then communicated. And I think that what Blinken finds himself in is a situation where one day President Biden is saying he's going to stand with Israel and the next day he's slow walking every bit of help that we can possibly give them and equivocating on whether or not they even need to extend a ceasefire. I mean, the the moral clarity component of diplomacy seems to be Monica and and you've you've been a you know a foreign policy thinker in ways that's really extraordinary on your own talent, but it's been interesting to see how that vacillation in that top position really does mess up the rest of policy. Yeah, you know, Joe Biden has always been a corrupt hack, Kevin, so he's never had any real principles beyond advancing Joe Biden. Um, so nothing has, has ever really guided him. Dr. Monica Crowley, thank you for sharing some of your thoughts on uh, this legendary figure by any measure of history. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Kevin. Thank you. Kevin McCullough coming right back from Times Square. Don't go away. With a no drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. So glad you're with us and welcoming back to the music spotlight for her third visit in 2023, the Christmas sounds of Ann Wilson. They're putting decorations up in front of my old church. The shepherds and the wise men in the hay. There's Joseph and his Mary looking down at heaven's birth And the angels saying, don't you be afraid It makes me stop and think about how you showed up down here In a humble bed and laid a in wood You could have picked a pile of something more fit for a king But then the story wouldn't be as good from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low 
in the music spotlight and ends uh, back with us next hour. It's That Kevin Show. Stay here. Yeah, boy, 